me to the book of Romans. Uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hard black, uh, hard, uh, hardback, black hardback underneath the seat around you. You're more than welcome to grab one of those. And flip open with us to Romans 6. A few firsts this morning. This is our first time ever doing baptisms in the service. Uh, so uh, we'll see how it goes. Chris has been having nightmares of water splashing all over the, the speakers for the last couple of days. I've been having nightmares of uh, the water being too cold. I don't know. A lot of you weren't here for this. Uh, a few months ago, we had baptisms, and uh, little Asher Watson, Jason's, Jason's oldest, was getting baptized, and uh, the water was just too cold for him. We was back in a horse trough out back. This was back when we were country church. Uh, my cowboy boots on and uh so he was freaking out it was rainy the water was too cold and there are there are pictures i swear jason's wife chris told me keep going keep going so i would not have there are pictures of him just white knuckling that sucker and just like agony and we're like shoving him down into the water so he's over it i think i'm not uh fully We've done our best to make sure it's not too cold this morning. So this is, yeah, I've waited a long time for this. This is actually a big day for me, so uh, I'm happy that you're here to join uh, with me as I get over my fear of baptizing people, <laughs> scarring them. I have a surgery coming up on Wednesday, too, so this is just an anxious week for me. I'm looking forward to get this, uh, get this done. We're glad that you're here. Um, this is a special day for us at First Colony uh, as we participate in baptisms. We've got two people being baptized today, Brooks uh, and Tiffany, um, and so we are uh, happy that you're here to celebrate with us. This is really uh, the most special thing we do here as a church, um, where we come together and we uh, participate in and celebrate uh, new life and the, the life that baptisms represent. And so in just a few minutes, we'll uh, get to the baptisms. Um, before we do, I want to read to you some scripture from Romans chapter 6. Um, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 11. Romans 6, verse 1 through verse 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, must count yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are celebrating Easter here at the church, so we're in the middle of a sermon series called Insurrection. Um, kind of our tagline for the series is Easter should make rebels of us all. And so Easter was two weeks ago, but for Christians, the Easter season lasts a while, okay, until Pentecost Sunday. Um, one of the reasons for this is because, uh, if you remember, Lent comes before Easter, and this is time of preparation and sacrifice. And Christians have, all this, has, have this awesome perspective from the very beginning um, that the feast should last longer than the fast. Does that make sense? So Lent is 40 days, Easter is 50 days, all right? Got to gain back some weight we lost, okay, while we are fasting, that kind of stuff. And so um, we're still in Easter season. We're celebrating this morning um, with baptisms, um, and we're exploring all the implications of Jesus' resurrection. Um, so 2,000 years ago, uh, approximately, um, 
two weeks ago we celebrated it on Easter Sunday. Jesus, who had been crucified, um, rose from the grave. Um, and with his resurrection, we believe that the whole world has changed. Uh, so we've been walking through the implications of that. Two weeks ago on Easter, we looked at um, the Gospels, so the story of Christ's life. And we looked at his ministry and, and at the kingdom that he was bringing. He shows up, Christ does, and he says, God is taking back control over this world. He has kind of invading this world with his kingdom. So this world's gone off track, and there's sin, and there's death, and there's all this pain and misery that wasn't supposed to be a part of his world. But now he's showing up and in and through his son and his ministry. He's reclaiming what is rightfully his um, last week we looked at Hebrews 2 and we talked about how um, the kind of logic of resurrection, the way it, it works is that it breaks our fear of death. Um, and so as Christians, Hebrews 2 says, you and I, um, with all of humanity, live our lives naturally enslaved by the fear of death. Um, and what happens in the resurrection, we see death defeated um, through the resurrection is all of a sudden that fear for Christians goes away and we're able to live fearlessly. So the, the history of humanity is simply this. Um, eventually, if you push us hard enough, we'll turn on each other, right? Because we only have a limited time on this earth, and there's only a limited amount of resources. If everything's fine, we'll kind of get along with each other, okay? But if all of a sudden you take some of those resources away, and you start squeezing us a little tighter, we're going to turn on each other. I'll take you out before I get myself taken out, right? Well, for Christians, this, this um, mechanism has been kind of cut in half. No longer afraid of death, they have no fear that can be like, used as a catalyst into oppressing other people or, or using force against other people. Christians are willing to give up their lives. They're not afraid of death. It's not the last word for them. Christians are, are people who, at the very least, are able to sacrifice for others and who don't have to get as much as they can, as good as it can get right now, but can live lives of self-sacrifice and love for other people. Um, last week we talked about if the Christian lifestyle is anything— it should at least be confusing to people who don't believe in the resurrection. It should at least be unexplainable. Why would somebody use their money like that? Why would somebody give up their time like that? Why would somebody um, drop the career path like that? Those kind of things. Well, they believe there's more than just this life, right? I mean, they believe, um, and, and more than just heaven, right? I mean, they believe they're actually going to be resurrected one day as well to live on a new heavens and a new earth. So they're not missing any fun here. I mean, they're not going to miss out on any things um, the world has to offer them. Um, they'll have all of eternity, they have all the adventures and all the fun um, that they'll have. But right now, there's this conflict. Right now, there's, um, there's evil in the world, and, and then there's Christ and his kingdom and the church. And so right now, we're called to live on the side of the kingdom. Um, this morning, uh, what I want to do is present to you the idea that when Jesus resurrects from the ground, it affects more than simply him. Um, so, so Jesus crucified, when he comes up out of the grave, okay, the tomb is opened up. He's now living again, um, never to die again, um, still living today. That's the point of Easter. A buddy of mine went to a, uh, was in like, like a boondock town for the family for Easter. And so it was at this like little podunk church, right? The poly pastor didn't graduate high school, right? I'm, I feel bad for saying that, but I mean, this is some of these churches work, right? Um, by the way, if you saw the announcement card, uh, we're having a potluck in two weeks, um, so make sure you are uh, making plans for that. Uh, if you look on the announcement card, it's not super specific. It just says, one of the reasons to celebrate my graduation. So let me cut off the joke right there. From high school. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's a graduate degree, okay? It's pretty impressive. <laughs> what's, what's really funny is that I actually was here when I graduated from undergrad, so... Um, yeah, we'll be doing that. We'll be celebrating, uh, and we'll be commissioning Jimmy and Jessica Parks, who will be going off to Washington 
um, for the summer uh, for an internship they have. Um, so anyways, he's, at, he's in this little church, okay? And the pastor gets up, and he is talking on Easter Sunday, and he says, uh, he says this. He goes, it's so unfortunate that Jesus was killed, because otherwise he'd still be alive right now. And, and I was like, man, he missed the point of Easter, right? I mean, this is his one Sunday. That's the, that's the whole point, right? He's still alive. We get it, he died, right? But he came back, like, keep reading, right? Shocker. He's, you're a Christian, right? I mean, he's, he's resurrected. Um, but we, we sometimes skip past the resurrection. So Jesus raised from the dead, okay? Still alive, as alive as he ever was today. On the move, slippery, can't hold him down. Obviously, he's affected, right? I mean, this, this means something for him. This means something for his life. Um, what I want to say that this morning is that the scriptures would say his death and his resurrection also affect you and I as believers. Um, not in like a super spiritual uh, kind of idea way, but like an actual his death and his resurrection actually has real effects and real benefits for you and I as Christians when we follow him. Um, this is what the scriptures would say for us. Um, you see this in Romans 6, um, this idea that you and I as believers are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Um, there's a sense throughout the scriptures that what happened to Christ, in some real but mysterious sense, also happens to us through Christ. What he experienced, we experience. The benefits he gets, we now receive. What's true of Christ, what's true of the king, is true of his people. He's the representative. He's the substitute. He's the one who goes on our behalf, and we reap the benefits of his victory. We reap the benefits of his battle. We reap the benefits of his obedience and his faithfulness. Think of King David, David and Goliath. Everyone knows this story. Um, David goes and battles Goliath, and when David beats Goliath, all of Israel wins, even though they didn't go, they didn't go out in battle. Right? But what was true of their king was true of them. Jesus goes out on behalf of us, and when he dies and resurrects, Christians say, um, throughout the New Testament, somehow, in this real but mysterious way, we're glued together with him. And when he died, we died. And when he rose, we rose. And the life that he's living now, in the power and presence of God, is available to us now, because of his death and his resurrection. In Galatians, Paul will say, this is Paul in, in Romans, in Galatians, Paul will say, um, I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ was on that cross, in some real sense, I was on that cross. And my sins were on that cross, and my old life was on that cross, and it died. It was executed. It's, it's dead. It's dead as can be. And when Christ rose from the ground, I rose from the ground. When he experienced new life, I experienced new life. Um, one of my favorite theologians, when he's asked, um, or when he was asked, uh, when he was saved, he used to say, um, about 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died and rose again, that's when I was saved. Um, that's when the, the battle was won for me. Um, that's when something happened that, that changed all of the, the options that were available to me. Um, we're united with Christ. In Romans 8, a couple of chapters um, on, uh, Paul will say that the same power that was working in Jesus when he was raised from the dead is available to you and I as believers. Um, not a portion of it, not 10% of it, not divvied out among everybody in the church, but the, the exact same power um, is available for us to tap into on a daily basis as believers. Um, the Holy Spirit um, raising Jesus uh, from the dead. So there's this, this union with Christ that we get. And then what Paul says here is that this union is, is, is kind of marked out, it's kind of signaled, it's communicated by the act of baptism. So as you go into the water and you come out of the water, and this is your identity marker. 
This is the announcement. This is the revelation. This is your moment of clarity. You are connected to Christ. His fate is your fate. In this beautiful glue-like state that sometimes, I mean, even if you wanted to get out of it, you can't now. Forever. Your fate intertwined with his fate. What happened to him has happened to you and will happen to you. And the life that he enjoys is now your life. And what Paul's doing here is he's, he's answering the question of, in verse 1, can we just sin? So if sin um, comes and then grace comes and then sin comes and then grace comes, like he said in chapter 5, he says, um, or people are saying, should we just sin our brains out, right? I mean, should we just sin and sin and sin and sin so that grace will come more and more and more? And, and Paul's answering this. He's going, no, 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 that's not how it works, okay? And, and the way he answers that question, the way he tries to get them to behave correctly is by affirming their identity, um, is by saying, this is who you are, and so this is how you should be living. Um, he does a, a kind of affirmative behavior uh, approach here, as opposed to like a shame approach. Um, so you see this, I think, with, with children a lot. Um, there's a big difference between behavior and identity, right? Um, and, and you've got to be able to identify the two, behavior and identity. Um, when a kid is acting stupid, right, you have to be able to know, is this a stupid kid or is this a smart kid? Right? If it's a smart kid, then you don't say, you're just stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. Right? They get locked into that affirmation. That's their identity. Um, what's really going to affect them, though, is if you say, you're a smart kid, so you shouldn't be doing things like that. Right? Or you shouldn't be saying things like that. That's not consistent with your identity. And this is what Paul does here, and, and really elsewhere in the New Testament, Corinthians he does this as well. When Christians are screwing up really badly, he doesn't come after them and go, well, I guess you're not really a Christian, and I guess this and that and this and that. He goes, hey, weren't you baptized? Hey, aren't you one with Christ? Aren't you, aren't you an heir with Christ? He says, let's look at your identity. Yeah, it's conflicting right now with your behavior, um, but we don't need to shame you with the behavior. We need you to really understand your identity, and then that will lead you to go, well, I guess behaving that way is not right. Think of a, um, so if you're renting, right, from a landlord, and uh, this is real oppressive landlord, he comes after you with all kinds of fees, um, try to kick you out all the time, and things of that nature, um, and it's just been this kind of source of stress for you for, for quite a while, and you have this bill, and it's eventually paid off, and you move, and then the landlord shows up one day at your new place, and starts yelling at you, and starts demanding things from you. You're able to go, you can't tell me anything anymore, Right? I don't belong to you anymore. Um, I have a different identity. I'm not your tenant. Something else has changed. So my behavior's going to change. I'm not going to be as afraid of you. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Um, I know who I am uh, now. So Paul says, you see this in verse 5 here. He says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. If you go up to verse 3, it says, don't you remember, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, this is kind of the main symbolism of baptism. You go down into the water, you come out of the water. Just like Christ went into the grave and came out of the grave. We're united with him in his death and in his resurrection. There's this sense of being cleansed from our old life uh, in baptism, being cleansed of our sins. Um, the guilt... Uh, of our past life has no claim anymore on those who have been into the water and come out of the water. They've died to all of that. Um, they are dead to all of that. And then there's a sense of, of new creation. As they come out of the water, this new life is opened up to them. This new life is available to them. Um, one that will be opened up uh, for the rest of eternity to them. Um, baptism, I think, has both elements here of, of the benefits of the gospel for us. Uh, forgiveness from our sins and then freedom from our sins. Um, 
forgiveness that has been washed. It's gone. It's dead. All that died. It's nailed to the cross. And then forgiveness. You don't, you don't have to do that anymore, right? You have options now. You have choices now. So, so in, in Romans 5, Paul would, would say the entire world, all of humanity, is in one of two camps. They're either in Christ or they're in Adam. And in Adam, all die. In Adam, we were infected by this virus called sin and, and by its buddy death. And they kind of come and they bully us and they enslave us. And, and to use the analogy we used last week, we're kind of like the living dead, right? I mean, we're alive, but we're just kind of breathing. I mean, we're just kind of going through the motions most of the time. We're running after the rat race, um, right? Materialism, consumerism, um, power and prestige and fame. And we're just kind of going through life, and we're just trying to get as much as we can in that moment. Um, we're all kind of the walking dead. And what happens with the resurrection when one is transferred into Christ out of Adam is they get this, like, vaccine, right? They get this antitoxin, this shot in the arm of resurrection, of life. And this doesn't mean that they're no longer affected by sin and death. It just means they're not enslaved. They have options now. They can stand up. They can resist. You, know, you don't owe me anymore. I mean, you see this even here in, in, in verse 4. He says, so that we might walk in newness of life. Uh, Paul understands, right, there's no magical transformation that happens for Christians. Conversion is a messy thing, right? Um, we often tell our conversions much cleaner than they actually happened. And I think this is a disservice sometimes to other Christians and to people listening. Um, so I was a drug addict, and I did drink all the time, and I did like the cowboys and all those evil things. <laughs> and then I became a Christian. The next day, guess what? Didn't eat heroin. I saw alcohol, and I poured it out, turned it into water, reversed Jesus that thing, gave it to a homeless person, okay? Went on with my day. And we, we hear that, and we go, well, man, that's not, right? I mean, I've been converted like six times. Right? <laughs> Each time it gets worse. I don't know what's happening. I was drinking before I was a Christian, and then, guess what? The day after I was a Christian, I felt like I needed a drink. And I had a drug problem before I was a Christian, and the day after I was a Christian, I was still scratching. Still needed that. And I think if we're honest, most of our lives reflect that reality, Right? That, that conversion is this messy process. It goes on and on, and daily we have to kind of battle against sin and death. There's still realities in our life, right? But something with the resurrection, with our union with Christ, has been dramatically transformed. Whereas where once we were slaves, now we're free. And we can still walk in, in, in wrong directions, right? But guess what? We can walk in right directions, too. There's new options available to us that weren't available to us in the past. And baptism is this identity marker that you are in Christ. Baptism is almost like your tombstone and your birth certificate at one and the same time. Baptism is the marker. You have died. You're dead. It's over. That life, it's over. Those sins, it's over. It's all gone. It's dead. As dead as Jesus was on that cross, that life, those sins, it's dead. And it's like your birth certificate. You're alive. You're alive to God. You're alive to the power of the Holy Spirit. You're alive to these new spiritual benefits that you can reap if you would press into them. Baptism is his identity marker with us. Um, flip with me, if you would, to, to Mark chapter 1. Um, this is Jesus' baptism. So Jesus himself was baptized. And I think sometimes we, we don't pay as much attention to it as we should because I think it has some stuff to teach us uh, about baptism, about its role in our lives Jesus gets baptized in, in Mark 1. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 9. Mark 1, verse 9. This is the very beginning of Mark. Jesus hasn't really done anything. 
In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This is his older cousin. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. A couple things to notice. This is one of my favorite little short little passages okay, in the Bible. Because um, you get so many beautiful pictures from this one like scene, from this one little moment. Um, the first thing is, is you've got this picture of the Trinity here. Okay, so as Christians, we believe that God equals Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's three persons to God, the Trinity, the triune God. And you've got that here. You've got the Father speaking. You've got the Son, Jesus, going into the water, coming out of the water. And you've got the Spirit um, descending onto the Son, the Father sending his power and presence onto his Son. And then you've got this, this kind of affirmation of identity, um, this, this revelation, if you will, this apocalyptic moment, okay? Um, in the Greek, this, this heavens being torn open is a little more dramatic, uh, than just being torn open. It's like the, the heavens are shattered apart. Um, like all of earth like erupts and you see for one moment clearly what the truth is about the world and the truth is this is my son. I couldn't be happier with him. I couldn't be more in love with him. And all my power and all of my presence through the Spirit will be on him and with him. And I believe for Jesus, this was a pivotal moment in his life. Um, I believe that, that this was the tape he played in his mind over and over and over again throughout his life. When he's being tempted right after this. He's remembering that moment of clarity where the heavens were opened up. And he saw clearly for just a second. You are my son with whom I am well pleased. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Toward the end of his life. Praying. Sweating drops of blood. Fearful of what's coming up. He's playing this tape came out of that water, the spirit came down, I heard the voice, the heavens were opened up. Um, baptism, I think, for you and I should serve as a moment of clarity. It's this, this revelation. Um, not always in our lives is it easy to understand what's true and what's not true. Just think like politics, right? I mean, there's, there's two sides to every story. There's, for every Drudge Report article, there's some other, I don't know, liberal site article, I don't know. Um, right? I mean, there's, there's always another angle Right? It's, it's sometimes hard to piece together the facts and the truth and, and what's going on here. For every time someone's told you a story, right? If you talk to the other person in that story, they probably tell you a kind of different story. I mean, there's two sides to all of it. Very rarely do we have these moments of clarity. Um, for Jesus, and I think for you and I, baptism should be this moment of clarity. It's this moment where, where beyond any other moment, Christians realized, we realized, we're one with Christ. Jesus realized, I am his son, and you and I realized we're connected with him. When, when God the Father looks at Jesus and says, you are my son whom I love, now you and I receive that statement as well. You are my son, you are my daughter with whom I'm pleased, with whom all my power and my presence will be with. And for Christians, I think baptism should serve as this marker for us, should serve as this reminder for us. If you, you flip back to Romans chapter 6, this is what Paul is trying to get them to do, right? He's trying to get them to play this mental tape back in their head um, as their behavior goes off track, as they, they get confused about what the Christian life consists of. He says, remember that you were baptized, right? You went into the water with Jesus in his death. You came out of the water with Jesus in his life. That now defines you. That was your moment of clarity, don't let anything else in your life, any circumstance, any situation, any evidence, any actions come above that. At all times, go back to that tape and go, I'm with Christ. I died and I rose again. I died and I rose again. I get that I'm feeling like this, but I died and I rose again. I get that I'm acting like this, but I died and I rose again. I get that the, the situation in my life is this, but I died and I rose again. Um, Martin Luther, the, the great Protestant reformer, 
uh, if you know anything about this, the Reformation, right, he's real famous for having this mental anguish over his sins, and he never thought he was good enough for God. And so um, he would describe these attacks he'd get by the devil in the middle of the night. He'd come and throw his sins in his face. And Luther, real famously, would just repeat, I've been baptized. I've been baptized. I've been baptized. I've been baptized. This was his moment of clarity. This was his moment where he, he, he saw the heavens ripped open. And clearly, he's ever seen in his life, he's, he saw the stamp. This person is with Christ. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, when he gives us things to remember him by, gives us actions and not ideas. Two big ones, communion, eat, drink, and then go into the water, come out of the water. One you do regularly every time you meet, Jesus says. One you do once in your life. And you try to follow me. It's interesting because I think you and I like ideas more than actions. We want atonement theories. We want equations. But when Jesus says, I want you to be a part of my death, I want you to understand it, he doesn't give you this like esoteric idea. He says, eat some bread and drink some wine. And when he wants to understand, when he wants you to understand what it means to follow him, right? What it means to be committed to him, he says, go into this water and come out of the water. And this is what it is. It's this real physical, earthly act. Um, and sometimes I think we're scared of that. But I think our baptisms uh, should serve as these reminders to ourselves sometimes. That we're one with Christ. And I was baptized on April 4th, Palm Sunday of 2004. And a handsome 16-year-old. I was uh, starting my, my spiritual journey. I went, it was just right down the street at a church here in Sugarland. Uh, Got in after two kids. The water was a little warm, a little too warm for my comfort. <laughs> I got out, and my dad said, you know, I was warm because the kids peed when they went in there first. And any spiritual, like, feeling I had just disappeared in the moment. I can't say, I think pretty surely, Asher's baptism was way more life-changing than my own uh, in terms of, of just being scarred um, by the image of him screaming and crying and... But your baptism, right? I mean, this, this, this physical moment in your life, a moment in history, I think the scriptures say, that's your marker. That's your identity. Don't let anything come before you in that. Remember that. Remember the day. Remember the moment. And when you doubt, and when you question, and when you stumble, when you scrape your knees, think back and go, I was put in the water, I was taken out. That is the truest thing about me. I am united with Christ. He died, I died. The life that he now lives is available to me. I have options. I'm no longer enslaved. I can follow him. I can lean into him. I can lean into his power and presence. I can lean into um, the kingdom of God um, here and now. Um, I think this is the mental tape that you and I as Christians are supposed to play in our minds. Um, This is supposed to be the identity that we remember at all times that then works out on our behavior. Um, So we we don't necessarily do behavior modification as Christians in the Christian life. Christian life is knowing who you are and then becoming that person. Knowing who you are and then making sure your actions line up to that identity. Um, but the Christian life is surely not working towards becoming something. That if you're good enough one day, God will look at you and say, you're mine. No, the, the Christian life is God looked at you and said, you're mine. And so now you are learning how to act like that. And it can be messy and it can be hard and it can be long, but, but that's your calling. And, and you're one with him. And I think baptism for Christians, in a way that sometimes we've overlooked maybe... But, but, but going into the water, coming out of the waters, I think this moment of clarity, this moment where Christians go, that's how I know I'm with him. I went into the water and came out from the water. Yeah, there's going to be times in your life, there's times in my life where it doesn't feel like that. There's going to be times in our life where we're not acting like that. And Paul says, 
don't you know that when you were baptized, you were buried? And when you came out of the water, you were resurrected? That's your identity. Live out of that. In verse 11, he says, um, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's some mental activity, he says, you got to take place here. Um, calculate, count, as the Greek word he's using. It's a, a mathematic word. I'm not a mathematician. I'm told, though, when you do a mathematic equation, a little arithmetic, um, that you're not actually making something happen, right? You're just figuring out what's already true. So 5 plus 3 is 8, I think. And when you... When you count it and carry the one on your fingers, right? You're not making it eight. It's already eight, right? You're just figuring out that's, that equals eight. What Paul's saying here is, is you need to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You need to work out the calculation in your mind. You're not making something happen. You're just tapping into what's already true so that you can act accordingly, so that you can live accordingly, so that you can enjoy accordingly. Count it. Calculate it. Do the math in your head. Um, this is not like pop psychology, Right, your self-esteem. There's this movement um, a couple years ago for schools, for teachers to uh, be really affirming of children, right? And so uh, it's called like nurturing hearts or something like that. And you were never supposed to say anything negative about a kid, right? So if they were cussing and they went pee in the corner and they hit another kid in the jaw, um, I mean, you didn't say anything negative. You just listed out all the positive things about that bad behavior that you could find, right? Because you wanted to affirm them. Because if you say, you're a bad kid and you shouldn't do those things, then they'll be like, oh, I guess I'm a bad kid, and they'll keep doing these bad things. And so um, the kind of idea, right, is, is convince everyone that you're really good. Don't let anyone think they're anything other than perfect, and then they'll act perfect. That's kind of the, the logic behind it. Um, I don't think that's what's happening here in, 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 in Paul and in Romans and the Christian life. Um, we're not make-believing anything. Does that make sense? I guess this is how we're going to say it. We're not trying to convince ourselves that this is true. What Scripture says is, guess what? This is the truest thing about you. So you're tapping into reality. You're not trying to make it up. What you need to do is, is be careful of getting sidetracked because you're not get sidetracked. I get distracted. So I have to be reminded. I have to remind myself. I have to others remind me. This is what's true of me. I'm united with Christ. When he died, I died. When he resurrected, I resurrected. And there's this um, <coughs> power and transformation available to me in the moment, in the presence, um, because of my union with Christ. Um, so we talk about the resurrection being an act of insurrection, being this rebellion against the powers, this rebellion against the way the world's always run and ha- has to run, and this, this call for you and I to join the insurrection, to join the kingdom, to join this movement, this subversive movement of, of love and sacrifice and forgiveness and peace. And the way we're able to do that is because when Jesus rose from the dead, it didn't just affect him. It put a shot in all of our arms. Life broke into this world that was enslaved by sin and death. And you and I now have the option. You and I now can be free. You and I now have this available to us. And Paul says, never forget that with your baptism. Let that be your identity marker. Let that be your tombstone. Let that be your birth certificate. Um, so I would ask you this morning, if you've been baptized, to, to think back. When were you baptized? What date was it? Again, I think we tried to like spiritualize this. But let's, I mean, let's just be practical. What day were you baptized? That's what you should be remembering, I think. That's how you should be considering this. Calculate this out. Did you go to the water? Did you come out of the water? Yes, it happened. You can't undo it. As much as you would want to it sometimes. It's happened. You're one with Christ. That's the truest thing about you. That was the revelatory moment in your life. That's when the heavens opened up and the church I was watching saw who you were and you saw who you were and the world around you saw who you were. And there's going to be times when you're in the garden and you're doubting it. And you have to go back and think, no, I was, I put in the water, I came up out of it. 
what day, what, what maybe things in your life um, are not consistent with that identity where, where maybe you need to count yourself dead to sin. You need to do the math and you go, Man, I died to that. I don't, I don't have to walk in that anymore. I don't have to be enslaved to that anymore. I can be alive. I'm not going to walk in this newness of life. If you haven't been baptized, I would uh, encourage you to do so. Um, again, you know, we're uncomfortable with these, I think sometimes these physical acts, and so we argue over how necessary they are, those kind of things, and we kind of just get past the real basic that he told us to do them, right? I mean, they're important, he told us to do them. So if you haven't been baptized, I'd encourage you uh, to get baptized. You can come talk to me or, or one of the staff here, and, and we can set that up for you. Um, but today we get to celebrate baptism. Uh, we get to be here on the, uh, the apocalyptic moment in Brooks and Tiffany's life, um, the moment that I, that I hope they would play in their minds over and over and over again um, in the times of temptation in the wilderness, in the times of uh, the garden and doubt. Um, I pray that you and I would be able to be alongside them right, as the church community and be able to go, no, remember I was there, I was there. Let me tell you what's true about you. I know you're doubting it. That was me last week, but let me tell you, I was there. Got pictures. We were there. Jesus' resurrection, it changes everything. I mean, it flips the world upside down. And the crazy thing about it is it has this ability to flip our world upside down. Um, And this is the reality that I think you and I are invited into uh, in the scriptures um, and by Jesus' death and resurrection. Would you pray with me?